0: You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, Episode 126, Three Fail-Proof Ways to Reduce Sibling Rivalry. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. It's truly amazing to me that in two and a half years of hosting Three and 30 and over 120 episodes, this is our first ever episode about sibling rivalry. That's especially surprising because I think this is one of the most common and heaviest problems that moms struggle with on a daily basis. As parents, we sometimes feel like we have no control over the relationships our children form with each other, and it can feel so discouraging. I know I myself have said things like, My children are both just so strong willed, their personalities just clash. There's nothing I can do to help them get along. And yet, it is truly one of my deepest, dearest hopes that my children can grow to become great friends, confidants, and protectors of each other, like I am with my sisters. And sometimes that just feels like such a giant crapshoot. Maybe they will, maybe they won't, but there's probably not too much I can do to force it or make sure it happens. While it's true that we can't actually dictate that our kids will have good relationships with each other or else, there actually is a lot that we can do to make it much more likely that our kids will develop close friendships. And the best news of all is that it has nothing to do with what they are doing and everything to do with what we are doing Today on the podcast, I'm thrilled to be interviewing one of the most renowned experts on sibling rivalry, whose book helped me to see the control that I have in the development of my kids' relationships with each other. Dr. Laura Markham earned her PhD in clinical psychology from Columbia University and is the author of several outstanding books on parenting, including the book that we're going to discuss in depth today, Peaceful Parent, Happy Siblings, How to Stop the Fighting and Raise Friends for Life. Our three takeaways for this episode are actually the three major lessons that I came away with when I read her book, and it's so exciting to be able to discuss them with the author herself. Though my children are young, and Dr. Laura and I kind of stay focused there during the episode, I challenge you to think about how each of these takeaways could apply to your relationship with your children, even if your kids are older or teenagers. These research-backed takeaways relate to all humans, no matter their age. Dr. Laura is also a mother of two thriving young adults, so she has lived what she studies and teaches, and I'm just so honored that she's joining us for not one, but two episodes on Sibling Rivalry this month, back-to-back, because this topic is so big and important, it really deserves a series. And just a reminder that this month of episodes is made possible by BetterHelp, which is the world's leading provider of online therapy. If you feel skeptical that you could develop a truly beneficial counselor-client relationship via technology, I need to tell you that I've been meeting with my counselor online for the past three years because she lives in Canada, and I've honestly loved it. The best part is I don't have to spend the time driving to and from appointments or find childcare for my kids. I can simply turn on a movie for them or get them settled in quiet time and then head to my bedroom for a quick counseling session. I definitely feel a genuine and deep connection with her, even though I've never met her in person. If you've been considering giving online therapy a try, do it. There's never been a better time, especially because as part of our partnership, BetterHelp is offering 3 and 30 listeners 10% off your first month with the discount code 3in30. To get started, simply go to betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com slash 3 and 30 And as always, I will put that in the show notes. And now let's dive into a topic we've been waiting years to hear about on 3 and 30, sibling rivalry. Here we go. Dr. Laura Markham, welcome to 3 and 30. I'm delighted to be with you. And I'm just especially excited to have you on during this time with COVID-19. I know a lot of families are spending a lot of time together and um, sibling relationships are perhaps flaring up a little bit. So moms are in need of these tools that you've taught me. And one thing that your book taught me that's been so valuable is that I really do have a lot of control over the relationships that my kids form. Um, and, and like I said, in that intro, that's good news because so much of sibling relationships is about my behavior, but in some ways that's also kind of heavy and hard news too. And it can Bring up some guilt when I realize that what I'm doing is having a direct impact there. But I know that your book and this episode, we want it to be filled with so much hope for moms. Absolutely. I also want to start by saying
1: no shame, no blame. No, the fact that you have discovered you have a superpower doesn't mean you're to be blamed for not having used it in the past. You just mm. discovered it, right? Yes. So the superpower is that you actually have a big impact on how your kids relate. Yes. So, yes, I just want to start by saying no, no guilt here. That doesn't help anybody. Yes. Give yourself some grace here. Give yourself the permission to not have used the superpower in the past. And you don't have to use it perfectly now. You know, mm-hmm. you may... Find yourself doing exactly the opposite of what I'm saying later today. And that's okay too because that shows you, oh, this is what she meant. And then next time you'll have a more clear sense of when you want to switch gears.
0: Absolutely. I think of it as opportunities to practice. So when I screw up and I, yes. and I yell at my kids or whatever, I think, oh, Mess that one up. Guess what? I'll have an opportunity to practice again in about three minutes, probably. Exactly. <laughs> so it just gives me, I mean, parenting, there's, there's endless opportunities to practice keeping your cool, mediating well, all these things. So instead of being harsh with myself, I try to just think it's an opportunity to practice. Yeah. And the three ways that I learned I can control, help to control my kids' relationships. First, I can control the way that I model self-regulation to my children. So basically, I can control my own behavior and how I react to emotions. And then second, I can control how much I invest in connecting with each of my children individually. And third, I can control how I intervene in my children's conflicts. And those are three really big factors that will dramatically impact the amount of sibling rivalry that we have in our home. So I was wondering if you could just go through each one of those sort of categories and teach us a little bit about how our behavior impacts our kids' behavior in these ways.
1: Okay. So takeaway number one, modeling self-regulation. So self-regulation, what is that? Self-regulation means that you... Notice what you're saying and doing, and you make conscious choices about it. Mm -hmm. We all are going to have feelings sometimes of anger, of um, frustration, of wanting to, you know, reach out and yank our kid away from our other kid when they're teasing them. Self-regulation means that you notice the feeling as it's brewing, hopefully, and you decide how you want to act you can be livid but we stop drop our agenda and breathe take a deep breath that's what keeps us from getting hijacked that's then we have a choice about how to respond to the situation yeah now why does that impact your relationship with each other well because they learn it from us mm-hmm. it's not the only place they learn it certainly kids will hit when you've never hit them or mm-hmm. they will lash out and hit Right. So kids do have their own feelings and their own volition to, to react to those feelings. Mm -hmm. But the short takeaway here for you is with siblings, the way they treat each other is going to be partly, and it's going to be strongly influenced by the way they see you solve problems when you're angry.
0: Yes. And one thing that you say often in your book is children learn what they live. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's so true. The way that they see us handle anger, the way we talk to them, they will mimic that. And sometimes that is painful because you hear your kid talking to their sibling and you're like, oh, he learned that from me. (laughs) So like one thing, my eight-year-old was yelling at his little sister the other day and I said, please don't yell at her. And he said, I told her nicely the first four times, but yelling is the only thing that gets through to her. And I thought, where has he heard that before? Mm. <laughs> like, you know, cause so often I'll say, I asked you nicely the first however many mm-hmm. times and why this, it's a, yelling, it takes yelling. And he had learned that and applied it to his little sister, which I feel like is another thing that was really eye opening when I read your book is that you said that when children feel powerless, they will take it out on someone who's less powerful than them. And so if they feel powerless because of how you're treating them, they will turn around and try to make someone else feel smaller. And I've definitely seen that with, sometimes it's a direct link. Like I will get, I'll scold my son. I'll get after him. He, he, you know, he drops his head. He's defeated. He's mad at me. He walks outside and I watch him and he goes and is mean to his little sister, Mm. like directly then. Mm -hmm. And wow, it's, it's heartbreaking and powerful to realize That my lack of self-regulation is teaching him a lack of self-regulation, but that the reverse is true too. That when I can control it, I'm teaching him and showing him how to respectfully control it with his emotions as well.
1: Yes. Such a great example.
0: And this isn't easy. And like we talked about in the beginning, moms are going to feel some guilt when they hear this because I, most moms have struggled with this have struggled with yelling have struggled and so they will recognize that their kids are mimicking that but it's never too late to start learning how to do this so what is one practical strategy for managing our own anger and anxiety when our kid when we're getting triggered by our kids how do we manage that
1: well the reason you're in a rage is you're feeling threatened now you may be threatened on behalf of the younger child who's being picked on Mm -hmm. you may be feeling threatened because you feel like oh my goodness what's wrong with this child I've told him a thousand times you mm-hmm. may be feeling threatened because you're realizing that more than anything I want them to get along and they don't yes and you're just devastated by that so you could be feeling threatened for any number of reasons but when we feel threatened what do we do we lash out mm. make it a practice to remind yourself it's not an emergency to give yourself some way to talk yourself off the cliff. Mm. At that moment, if your four-year-old has just knocked your two-year-old down again for the 10th time today, you may feel like it is an emergency, right? And that your four-year-old is a monster and you need to swoop in there like an avenging angel and set him straight. But in fact, he's your four-year-old. He's your beloved child as well. And so to talk yourself off that cliff, you could do any number of things. You could say, the four-year-old needs my help. He's having a really hard time today, Mm. right? Yeah. You could say, you could do that. It's not an emergency.
0: Yes. And I think so often what does feel like an emergency, you know, if we look at it objectively, isn't. Like it It does feel like a bit of emergency when your child hits the baby, but really stop. Is the baby okay? The baby's okay. You know, it's like, so just reframing. And stepping back and saying, it's not, almost nothing is a true emergency. And if we can remember that, then we can calm ourselves down and react the way that we want to, which is this first step in modeling for our children, how to deal with emotions.
1: And I do want to say to mom who's listening right now, who's saying, but it is an emergency when he hits the baby. I want to say that at that moment, it feels like it. And it feels like it could have been worse. What if it was worse, Right. But if you respond by lashing out at the four-year-old, I guarantee you that not only will it happen again, it will be worse next time. Mm. So there's an, it's it's not just a question of, oh, you want to be nice to your four-year-old or whichever child's doing the hitting. It's also a question of what's going to actually work effectively in the situation to stop this from happening again. And it does not work. And we'll talk about this when we get to intervening in fights. It does not work to jump in and attack the child who just lashed out. That will make things worse next time.
0: Yes, absolutely. Okay. And then our second takeaway, I can control how much I invest in connecting with each of my children individually. And I feel like it might seem like this has nothing to do with the sibling relationship when we're talking about me connecting with my individual children, but why is our individual relationship with each of our children so vital to the entire family unit functioning well? Well, the
1: main reason children have conflicts is that they don't feel good enough in their own skin. So... They want what their sibling has, and mostly what their sibling has, they think, is the parents. So Mm. the younger child might feel like the older child is the one who is always able to demonstrate their competence and intelligence and prowess. They know everything, the older child. And see how impressed the parents are by that? Whereas the older child might think the younger child is always on the parent's lap, and that the... Parents always take the younger child's side, and they must love the younger child more. After all, they should have been satisfied with the first child. They shouldn't have had a second child or a third child <laughs> if they were satisfied with me, they're thinking, right? In fact, my son said that to me before his sister was born. He said, but you don't need a boy. You already have a boy. If it's a boy, can we send him back? Oh, wow. They <laughs> so the they they know. Yes, They know. That if you have another child, it's because they somehow weren't good enough for you. That's what they think from their perspective. So the entire sibling relationship from the beginning is shadowed by the relationships with the parents. Now, it can be made better or worse by having sort of natural chemistry or natural... uh, anti-chemistry, you know, kids who really get on each other's nerves, one's an extrovert and one's an introvert, for instance. You can make the sibling relationship worse by that mix of temperaments. But Mm -hmm. in fact, the framework at the beginning, the foundation is one child suddenly has to move over and share the parents with a younger child, or two children have to move over and share the parents. You would want the older child to know he still has parents who Mm -hmm. adore him, who Just who see who he is, appreciate who he is, take such delight in him, love being with him. When a child feels like that, when they know that if they really need you, you'll show up for them no matter what, that child no longer has to compete. There may be those instances, but you can repair those individual instances. Hmm. If it's the story of the whole relationship, if they feel like you prefer the other child and you're always criticizing them and yelling at them and telling them what they did wrong, you can assume that child is going to resent the young, the other sibling and take it out, take out all of that pain on their sibling.
0: Yeah. And you know, I have seen, um I feel like our kids' natural temperaments can magnify this because when you have one child that has a naturally harder temperament and you're kind of on them more, and it's not that, you want to be on them more than the other child, but the other child is naturally more compliant. Mm -hmm. Then I feel like it starts to cast them into roles that I, I worry about my, my two that we're casting them in roles that are going to stay with them. That one of them is the harder, you know, define more defiant. And then the other one is the more compliant, obedient. And I see both of them kind of trying to, they, they follow those roles and, um, I don't want to cast them in roles like that. And yeah. so is this connection with each of them pouring into them individually and my relationship with them individually, is that a good antidote to kind of these roles developing? Cause it really is just their temperaments that are yes. kind of creating these roles.
1: Yes. You didn't decide one kid's going to be defined and one kid's going to be compliant. Kids just are born on a range of compliance to defiance, for instance. Right. So it matters tremendously what that relationship is with each child because for instance if you have a re- i had one who was definitely more challenging difficult and defiant and um, if i had uh, not really worked at that relationship she 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 jokes that she would have been a criminal today um, she actually <laughs> <especially laughs> says that because if she she said if i had a different mom i would have been so rebellious <laughs> but you always understood. So I could always talk to you. And even if I didn't get what I wanted, you would understand and It was okay. It worked out. Mm -hmm. So have a kid who's more challenging. You have to really put yourself into that relationship and build it because otherwise those strong-willed kids will, um, you know, you'll be in a knockdown drag out for, for their entire childhood basically. Mm -hmm. So you have to do that with those kids. But here's the thing. Once you build that relationship, they're more cooperative. So then when you do need them to cooperate with you about anything, and that includes getting along with their sibling,
0: they're more likely to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so how do you build this relationship one-on-one with children? I mean, it's one thing for moms. We all want to do this, but what's a concrete strategy for working on your relationship and pouring into that with individual children?
1: Yeah. I think every child... Needs a daily interaction with a parent that helps them feel seen and appreciated, delighted in, and like you are taking time just with them. Your phone is off, someone else has another kid, the other kid, or whatever other children you have, the baby's asleep, whatever it is, so that you're able to say, I am all yours. What should we do? And you're not telling them what to do. You're not suggesting as they're playing with their Legos that maybe they should add wings so it flies. You're just appreciating them. Mm-hmm. And when we do that with kids, they, it's like your love becomes tangible to them. They feel reassured and soothed. Mm-hmm. They feel secure in your love. Yeah. I think every child needs that every day and you know i talk to parents who have five kids and say how am i supposed to do this i'm i'm alone with the five kids you know my partner's not around and in, in during the day to do this and it can be very hard to do but i say there's a lot of information on my website about this and and also in the sibling book about how to do this and make it work mm-hmm. i think it's something i would move heaven and earth to make sure i got that time every day with each child.
0: Yeah. And you know, you say in your book several times, you have permission to let go of other things in your life. Who cares if your kids have cheese and crackers and deli meat for dinner? If you're, we're using that time to build relationships and to coach them. And, and at one point you did say in there something about, you may need to take a few months where you really cut out extracurriculars and you really just focus in on building relationships with your children and emotion coaching them. And I laughed when I heard that just the other day when I was re-listening to your book, because we're in the middle of that against our own will right now, you know, with with COVID-19. Like everything, all the extracurriculars have been cleared off. And so we can use this time to really build and cultivate those relationships with the individual children. You're
1: so right. And we can use it also to sit down with them when they're playing. And notice what goes on. Mm. And you don't butt into the middle of it if it's working. Obviously, you just appreciate
0: it. Yes. Yeah.
1: Right before you walk away, you say, I love watching the two of you play. You have such a good time together. And Mm. you walk away. And they think, yeah, mom likes it. We have a good time together. Yeah, we're going to have more of a good time together. Which is the single best thing you can do for their relationship is allow them to have a good time together, right? Because the research Mm. shows the more they have fun together, even though they sometimes fight, the closer they are for the rest of their lives, yeah. the more they view the relationship positively, right? Yes. But if you do see they're having a hard time, all the more important to go sit down on the floor next to them. They're playing. You're watching. And one of them says, no, my turn, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can say, sounds like you want your your brother to, you're telling your brother it was your turn. You thought it was your turn, but now your brother has it. Hmm. I wonder how we can work this out. Yeah. And you start to give them the tools. And you could even say in this, I'm just making up a situation. You could even say, um, Jonathan, you can tell your brother that it was still your turn. Could you have it back, please? Mm -hmm. And he says to his brother, I was still using it. Could I have it back, please? And then his brother says something. And you say, and you can ask, you know, Jeremy um when he thinks he'll be done with it. So you can have a turn too. So you coach them this way. Yeah. And if you do this over and over again, they begin to use those words with each other. You'll hear them.
0: Yes. And that leads perfectly into takeaway three, which is I can control the way I intervene in my children's conflicts. And this is a big, this is a big takeaway. We're actually going to do an entire episode on this process next week, but just to give a basic overview today How do most parents intervene when children are fighting and what's a more effective way to intervene? I mean, you kind of just modeled it, but can you explain to us how most parents intervene and and what's not effective about that? Yeah. Most parents think that it's their job to solve the problem,
1: to decide what's right and who's right, and to lay down the law and to enforce the law. Mm -hmm. Makes sense, right? That's what we all do. You know, Jonathan, give that to Jeremy. Yeah. And sometimes there's a good reason for it. Like he just snatched it out of Jeremy's hands. Sometimes it's because he's bigger and you think Jeremy's going to cry. So you say, you know, well, we don't want Jeremy to cry. He's just a little one. He doesn't really understand. Jonathan, you give that to him. You can wait till later, you know. Right. And we intervene in a way that, that basically tells our kids how to solve a problem. So what's wrong with that? Well, number one, the kid who wins the Skirmish because we take his side. That kid feels like I won. Mm-hmm. And how does the other child feel?
0: They lost. Yeah. And they feel that powerlessness. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And they feel like, wow, she likes him better. Yeah. Mom likes him better.
0: She always takes his side. Now, maybe you
1: don't always. It doesn't matter because when we get into that negative place, we begin to look for confirming evidence to shore up our position of anger. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we, We look for evidence of this position, even if it's not true. Parents will say to me, it's just not true that I always take his little brother's side, but he thinks I do. And that's because over and over again, we intervene in a way that makes that child feel like they lost. Hmm. And then they look for more evidence of that. So there is another way to do it. Yeah. We go in and we say, wow, I hear loud voices. You two are having a hard time. And then, so we acknowledge that, and then we say, we acknowledge each child's perspective. Mm. Yes. So, oh, you think it's your turn because you were just using it, and you think it's your turn because you've been waiting all this time. Is that right? So you acknowledge both people's position. Mm. Now, your children feel like, well, there's some hope here. Somebody at least understands, even if I lose the battle here they, at least mom understands my position. She's not just, because what usually happens is the child doesn't even feel heard. Yeah. No, give that to your brother, we say. And the child who has to give it to his brother's like, do you even ever care about what I want or what I think or listen to me? Right. Even if it's not true, that's their takeaway. Yeah. So when we acknowledge both kids' perspective, then they feel like they've been validated. Anger only begins to diminish when it feels validated, when it feels heard. Let's take the word validation out because parents often wonder if that means they have to agree with the anger. No. When anger is heard, the person does not have to raise their voice further. They're able to start settling down because someone hears them. Yeah. So all you've done now, you haven't solved anything. All you've done is acknowledge both positions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we used to think, I want to tell you about the research here if we have time, a short research thing. Yeah. So they used to think that when you intervened in a fight, a sibling fight, it made the kids fight more. Mm -hmm. And that's true if you intervene this way. If you intervene and you go in and you tell the kids what to do and you say, give that back to your brother, what happens? Well, one kid is resentful. So you've just added uh, a log to the fire of sibling rivalry here. Mm -hmm. You're going to have a real conflagration if you do this often, right? Experts used to say don't intervene in a sibling fight. They'll do better if you let them work it out themselves. And it makes sense on the surface of it, right? Because then you're not building in the resentment. And also you're allowing them to work something out. They're building skills by working out. Mm -hmm. That's the idea. Mm -hmm. But then when we looked at the research, we realized siblings don't actually have good skills to work things out. What happens when you leave them to work it out themselves? the bigger one wins. The more powerful child wins. Yes. So we started to, to watch this camera over and over again. And we realized, right, it's true. If you don't intervene, there will be less fighting. But it's not because anything constructive is happening. The same child wins the fights over and over again. The other child is angry or is being taught to be compliant. And both kids think what they're doing is fine. After all, Mom walked away and said, you work it out. She was in the kitchen. And it's so funny because children assume you hear what goes on, even though you couldn't possibly have heard over the noise of the radio in the kitchen or whatever. No, they assume if you're there in the house, you're endorsing what goes on, even if it's one kid threatening the other. So it doesn't help to walk away. It doesn't help them build the skills. And it only reduces fighting because the less powerful child stops standing up for themselves. Yes. We don't want that. Yes. So there is another way to intervene. And it's the way I was modeling before where you don't make anyone wrong. You start by acknowledging both positions.
0: Yes. We'll talk so much more about this next week in next week's episode, because this was the biggest aha for me. I have heard over and over and over to ignore it. And it's never felt right to me. And when I read your book, I was, I finally realized why. And <laughs> so thank you for giving us that little introduction to that. And we're going to dive way deeper into that next week. Um, but Dr. Laura, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on today and for giving us these three initial takeaways. Um, this is really part one of your book. You talk about, well, you have an entire first book, um, about it's called Peaceful Parent, Happy, Happy Children. Is that what it
1: is. Peaceful parent, happy kids. Yeah, and it does cover these three big ideas.
0: Yes. Yeah. And, and then in and then in the second book, in the siblings book, you spend the first half or not quite half, but you the first little portion is this because it really does start with us, and then you spend the rest of the book talking about actually coaching and the dynamic between siblings. But it starts with us, and that's why I titled this episode, Fail-Proof Ways to Reduce Sibling Rivalry. It's fail-proof because it's it's us. It's our actions and our behavior. We'll never be able to control what our kids do, but we can control what we do. And that's what makes it fail-proof. Beautiful. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here today. And I can't wait for you to join us again for next week. My pleasure. Talk to you next week. I want to end this episode with a quote straight from the introduction of Dr. Laura's book because it captures exactly what I hope you will walk away feeling after you listen to this episode, not discouragement or guilt, but hope that you now know about your superpower as Dr. Laura calls it, and you're ready to use it. In the book, Dr. Laura says, quote, please summon up all your compassion and forgive yourself right now for being human. Decide right now that instead of criticism, you'll give yourself extra nurturing when you're not at your best, which happens on a regular basis to every parent. Really, no matter what, I don't care what you've done while you were exhausted or furious. You're human, which means you make mistakes and you can grow. You don't have to have parented perfectly and you don't have to be perfect in the future. Whatever is happening in your family right now, this is where you start. So where are we going to start this week? We can start with understanding what we can control within our children's relationship with each other. And that's three things. First, we can control our own behavior and the way we model self-regulation for our children by not flipping out and yelling. (laughs) Second, we can control how much we invest in connecting with each of our children individually so they don't feel as much need to rival for our attention and love. Third, we can control how we intervene in our children's conflicts coming in as someone who can coach them and help them build skills, not as a judge or a referee. This is not easy work, my friends. It is soul stretching. I imagine that this takes a lifetime to master, but I've decided where I'm going to start this week. I'm going to start by speaking kindly to my children, even when I'm upset with them. And if I mess up and I raise my voice or get snippy, I'm going to say right then in the moment, something like, Dang it, I made a mistake. I don't want to talk to you in a mean way when I'm angry. I'm sorry. Let me try that again. And then I will rephrase what I was going to say in a kinder way. You can still have a firm boundary with your children, but do it in a self-regulated, kind way. And that is what I'm going to work on this week. I think it will be powerful to bring my kids into the process with me and let them see me humbly working through becoming calmer, more self-regulated, asking for forgiveness so that they know how to immediately repair and start to rewire a habit when they make a mistake. When you make the mistake, just repair it right then. Repair and rewire. We can all be working on this in our family together. My friends, we've got this. We can start to shift our children's relationships simply by the way that we interact with them. This is hard work, but it is worth it. I can't wait to be with you for next week's episode, where we're going to dive in so much deeper into just how to coach and guide our children through their conflicts. Make sure you come back for that episode, and I hope you have a great week with your family.